0: So we'll take your Bible and turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, if you're looking at the Pew Bible, it's probably page 1026 27 right in there. I know that I'm about to upset you because uh, you've driven through the hard rain to hear the preacher deliver a dynamic sweat-slinging sermon. And I want to do something, this is going to be a message tonight, but I, you know, I I want to talk to you a little bit tonight. You know, we talked about spiritual awakening, talked about it in a lot of different areas and we'll continue it for the next couple of weeks. But have you ever thought about the never? I mean, just thought about it, the never. Well, spiritual awakening never happened. You know, I'm I'm amazed at people. Maybe amazed is the wrong word. At people who go to other churches and they see God working there, and they accept the fact that God could do something special and extraordinary and supernatural there, but it never occurs to them that what's going on there, God wants to do here. And so if God wants to do it, perhaps we say we want him to do it. What holds it back? I think it's things that we need to ponder. The closer we get to February the 1st, the deeper my burden comes for us to really have an experience with God and quit seeing things through our eyes and start seeing things as he sees them. Have you ever looked at the person next to you and saw them through God's eyes. I mean, have you ever looked at your best friend and saw them through God's eyes? Have you ever looked through your worst enemy and saw them through God's eyes? I was telling somebody just the other day, they were talking about how they really hated somebody who had hurt them. And I said, well, you know, you better be careful who you hate. You may spend an eternity with them. Tonight I want to talk to you about, and it's just not going to be a really sermon. It's going to have points, and it's going to have things for us to take away. I just want to talk to us about it. You see the word never up there, and I'm just going to say this to you. Probably the two most abused words and misused words in daily conversation are these two words, always and never. I mean, the the truth is, you can just about... Now, you hear your preacher say this. You can just about take it to the bank, whether it's your mate, whether it's your child, whether it's your best friend, your worst enemy, your preacher. When somebody has a conversation with you and they go, well, she always does that, or he never does that, you can take it to the bank that that's probably not true. Always and never a long time. And most of the time when people use the word always and never, all they're trying to do is to strengthen their case so that you'll listen to them. Now, that said, when I go to God's Word, it seems to me that when it comes to this thing of an awakening and a revival, that there are several attitudes, qualities, characteristics, and uh, some preachers would call them people, to which God would never send an awakening. Whether that never is overstated or not, I don't know. But it will serve us well tonight as we look in chapter 4 of James. It will serve us well to see some of these things that we'll discuss. You know that James is the half-brother of Jesus. So he saw Jesus firsthand. James has written this book. We preached through it a couple of years ago. It is a very practical book. If you were to take this book out of the Bible... And bind it and put it in a bookstore. It would go on the how-to section, how to do life, how to live life. And now James, I believe in this chapter, we're going to read all 17 verses. I believe James in this chapter gives us an idea about where God is not going to send an awakening, a spiritual awakening or revival. And then I think he gives us some pointers as to how to have that spiritual awakening. So I'm not going to just give you the negative. I'm going to flip it around and give us how to. If you're able, would you stand to honor the reading of God's word? We're going to read the full 17 verses. James writes, What is the source of the wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly so that you may spend it on your desires for pleasure. Adulteresses. a strong word. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be... The world's friend becomes God's enemy. Or do you think it's without reason the scripture says that the spirit he has caused to live in us yearns jealously. But he, God, gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts. Double-minded, be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers. He who criticizes a brother or judges his brother criticizes the law and judges the law. But if he judged the law... You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring. What your life will be. For you are but a are you are a bit of smoke that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So, for the person who knows to do good and doesn't do it, it is a sin. Let's pray together. Father, speak to our hearts through your words tonight. Help us hear from you. Father, As best I know how. My heart has come clean before you. I've asked you to reveal to me that part of me that displeases you, and I pray that I've been faithful to repent, confess, and Lord, I pray that you will reveal to us that part of us that is ugly to you. And I pray that you'll give us the courage and the strength to both repent and confess in your name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Now, I'll just tell you, because of the... I know I don't have to get your permission for this. And I know I've said it before and you don't like it. But because of the negative, the never of an awakening, that gives a negative to start with. I'm not going to browbeat us. I'm not going to belabor points. What I want to do is just lay this out. I hope you'll write some of them down. And I hope you'll see. But I don't want you to mistake. I don't want you to equate the briefness of our message tonight with a matter that is unimportant. Because I really believe this message tonight has the ability to impact the 30, 40, or 50 that we have here tonight and make a difference large skill. I'm going to talk about two things that are not going to be on the screen until it's time. I'm going to talk to you about awakening killers and awakening kindlers. So let's begin with awakening killers. Awakening killers. As I read God's Word and in the deep parts of my heart, here's what I will say to you based on my thoughtful, serious study of God's Word. There are some attitudes, there are some actions And a lot of them go on in church, which I think will hold God's Spirit back from sending an awakening. Now, we don't like to think that we can hold God back. What we really prefer is to hang on the sovereignty of God, which I believe in. You know, He's God, we're not. He does what He wants to, when He wants to, where He wants to, and with who He wants to. And so I'm not going to argue that God is God and we're not. But here's what I know. In my years in the church, as a Christian, as a preacher, as a staff person in my years, I have never seen God violate the principles of His Word. Yes, He can do whatever He wants to. Yes, He could. I just don't think He will. I think He's too consistent. And when I read chapter four, I see, I could tell you four, but I'm only, only put three of them on the, on the screen. I may mention the fourth one. I see three attitudes. Actions. Some preachers would call them people. And I'm not doing that. I'm just telling you here are three, three things that I believe will kill an awakening. First of all, the carnal. The carnal. Carnal. That is the fleshly. That is of the world. I mean, you go to the you go to this first part of this verse, and he asks a series of, of of rhetorical questions. He said, "Hey guys, what do the source of the wars come from among you? Obviously, this church was fighting. Where are the fights? Don't they come from the cravings in you?" And Wednesday night we talk about entitlement. I believe nothing is killing the country or our churches today like this thing of entitlement. I am a member. I'm entitled. I want to say to you what I said to the Wednesday night crowd. We are entitled to some things. Here's what we're entitled to. The wages of sin is death. We're entitled to a place called hell. The truth is... The truth is James asks all of these things and he answers it and he says you ask and you don't get because you're selfish, because it's your desires, because it's your pleasure, you don't get. And then look at that word he uses in verse 4, adulteresses. What a strong word. Now remember, when he wrote this, he wasn't writing it to Hueytown Baptist Church. He was writing it to the the scattered people of, uh, of the Jewish nation. But he was talking to those people who claim to be followers of Christ, and his strong language is adulteresses. Now you understand what adultery is. You have a man and woman married; one of the, those two married mates go over and they ha- and have a sexual relationship, an extramarital relationship. Would say we want to call it a. Uh, um, an affair today, God calls it adultery, and they 've been unfaithful to their spouse. May I say this to you? That is exactly what is happening spiritually that 's what he says is that you guys have gone to make friends of the world. you have committed adultery with the world and and James is pretty clear here. He says, if you're going to be friends of the world, you're by position enemies of God. Remember us talking this morning about repentance? you can 't face north. Without turning your back on south, you can't face east without turning your back on the west. You can't face God without turning your back on sin. It is true right here. When you turn to face the world and you want to be the friends of the world, you're going to embrace the world. Here's the truth. You're going to start thinking carnally. You're going to start thinking worldly. The world is going to control how you think, how you act, how you do. And he says at that point you become an enemy of God. Don't get mad at the preacher. That's the word of God. And God will not send an awakening as long as someone refuses to change their direction. Be carnal. The second thing he says, is the, the carnal, he says, this, the second thing he says is the prideful. This is simple. You read there in verse 6, it says, God resists the proud. That word resist literally means... I've never been a big college football fan, watched pros most of my life and played football. One of the, one of the mechanisms that's given to a ball carrier when he's running a football, got the football with the three points over here, defensive man's coming, it's what's called a stiff arm. And that's literally what that word means, God's stiff arms are proud, now watch this, I'm running the football. If I get that arm placed just right, and if I put it right on that defensive player just right, and I have my angle just right, that defensive man cannot get to me. Let me tell you, God has no problem extending his arm, setting his arm just right. He has no problem putting his hand on people in exactly the right place. Because you see, if we're going to be prideful, he is going to stiff arm us and keep us away from him. The the, the prideful person has little possibility of touching God. The third that I see here is found down in verse 11, the critical. Don't criticize your brother. He who criticizes his brother judges his brother, criticizes the law, judges the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And then he makes this, and there is only really one lawgiver. And you're not it. I think that verse eleven might should be required memorization for a new believer and for a church member. Because sadly, we have become a critical bunch. And you think I'm picking on you? (laughs) I'm not picking on you. I want to just tell you something. The person that I have you want me to name the person that I have the most problem with in this church? Call them by name, Are you ready? Got their permission. Their name is Jerry Watts. I have more problem with me than I do any of you. You know why? Because I know I can be critical alexandria um i don't want don't want to burst your bubble. And I hope it doesn't happen to you. But when I went through the school of music, I came out of the school of music. the most critical person i have i just i look back and I think how how critical I was. Every time somebody sang, they didn't breathe right. Choir sang, they didn't phrase right. See somebody, hear somebody play the piano. They didn't use the right technique. Came out of college having cut my teeth on southern gospel music. Boy, those guys are no good. They can't sing. All I want to say to you is this. I know that's one of my flaws. I can be critical. It's not something I'm proud of. It's really something that God keeps me humble about. How are you in that department? I just want to say this to you. The Bible is clear. Don't be critical of one another. You don't have to listen to the preacher. Listen to God's Word. But know this. There are very few things in this world that does damage like criticism. With Jerry, we're not ever supposed to have a debate? Well, no, I'm not talking about And you know that I'm not talking about when you're trying to help. <clears throat> but how many times have people come in, <clears throat> I'm just trying to help, and then they level you. Hello? Has anybody ever had that happen to them? A lie was perpetrated on us when we were kids. And I know we've got some young folks sitting right over here. But for those of us 50 and older, 45 and older, a lie was perpetrated on us. When we were kids, we were told... If I was told this once, I was told this three dozen times. Sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is a lie right out of the pit of hell. Critical words can do a lot of damage. They can... Destroy a ministry. They can destroy a marriage. They can, they can undo a life. There's an old fl- saying that says, loose lips sink ships. Um, Mr. Cameron came this morning and said, what is Wikipedia? And I said, no, Cameron. I said, Wikipedia. He said, that's not what you said. I said, well, then I misspoke. I do, I can read and I do know. But the Wikipedia tells us that that loose lips sink ships means this. And this is in a secular world. Beware of unguarded talk. Now, I'm spending a little time on this because this seems to be a a big thing in today's church. Curtis Vaughn wrote to speak evil of a person, to find fault with him, to speak disparagingly of him, to gossip maliciously about him. And some people think, this is what Curtis said, some people think fault finding is their spiritual gift. And yet God looks on fault-finding and criticism with disdain. Now, if I were to give you one more attribute from this, from this Scripture, it won't be on the screen. If I were to give you one more attribute, you have the carnal, the prideful, the critical, you could go the egotistical. The person who's got it all figured out. person who don't have to ask for help. The person who walks around with their nose in the air, Verse 16, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. And here's what I'll tell you. When you look at these three, these four attributes, is that the truth is, we look at them and we go, yeah, well, you know, I know that, I know, I know Susie, she's cardinal. I know Jerry, he's prideful. I know Teddy, he's critical. And I know Gary, he's arrogant. Hello. It behooves us not to point our finger at somebody else. It behooves us to see what there is in us that God needs to fix. If we don't start with us, we will be a personal killer of a spiritual awakening. I asked you, ask yourself, ask God. Am I an awakening killer or am I, number two, an awakening kindler? Kindler. I like that word. I know it's an old country word. When I was in Boy Scouts, we used to go out on campouts and the first thing we'd do is we'd go find what we call fat lighter. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Those that don't recognize the term, you know it's fat pine. You know, you cut that stuff open, you can put it to your nose, and you can smell it. It smells good all day long. But what you do know is that you get those little chips of that thing down in there, you strike that match just like gasoline, and it'll start a fire. And just as surely as that as that kindling will start a fire in the woods, there are some attitudes here that if we will embrace these attitudes that will get the fire started here in this place. And he gives them to us. I'm gonna offer them the way Warren Wiersbe offers his books. I'm gonna offer to you as B, some things for us to be. If you want to be an awakening kindler, if you want to be one of the people who who kindles the spiritual awakening, so that when we get to February, that people can see God all over us. And you say, brother Jerry, you don't think God, you don't think people see God all over us? Well, I'm not gonna pick on us, but listen, if the people can see God all over us we would not have as many empty pews. We would not have as many empty seats. Let me just lift three or four out of here from you and, and, and for you to consider. First thing that I believe he tells us if we want to be a kindler is to be humble. Be humble. God resists the grout proud the scripture says in verse 6 but watch this he gives grace to the humble now many people misunderstand this concept of humility the concept of humility is not being a doormat for everybody to walk over it's not ever the case jesus was humble (laughs) you try to tell those pharisees that he was a doormat you look at you look at how he spoke to them because he was speaking to them about their sin, and, and you will discover that he was anything but a doormat. He called them. <laughs> I'm telling you, he called them names. That you get mad at me if I call. I know I'm not Jesus, but I'm just telling you that that he was not. He did not mince words. He spoke the truth, but he was still a very humble person. I just. I'm going to remind you of them before we go. Not because uh, uh, Just hang on a second. He came down off the mountain. And then he pronounced seven woes on the, uh, um, on the Pharisees. And he called them a brood of vipers. He called them whitewashed tombs. He called them hypocrites. First chapter 23, he called them blind fools, blind gods. And he was humble. He was the most humble man that you ever met. But he stood against evil. You see, the truth is, we come and we humble ourselves before the Lord. And he gives us the proper perspective of who he is. And just like Isaiah, when we see who he is... We will not have to work at being humble because he will humble us. That's the first one. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The second one is be submissive. Be submissive. Submissive is not a word that we really like using in our culture today. And the reason it's fallen on hard times is because of Ephesians 5, wives submit to your husband. Submission is not something that really comes naturally to us. It's something we have to work at, and do you know why? Because when you're submissive, it doesn't mean you're weak. It brings That you bring your strength under control. You bring your strength under His control. You bring yourself under the authority of the Lord. You see, when you're humble and when you're submissive, all of a sudden... You're answering to higher authority. And when we do that, it opens the door for an awakening. The third thing that he tells us here follows that. Submit to God, therefore, because of all these things, because he gives grace to the humble, we'll submit to God. But watch this. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. That might be one of the hardest things that we do. It's resist the devil. You know, we're... Okay, all you older folks remember this. Flip Wilson? Remember Flip Wilson? Okay, I'm talking Spanish all of a sudden. Thinking about Geraldine. Oh, the devil made me do it. And it became our... It became kind of our mantra. It was kind of a our, our little byline. But the truth is... The truth is... Is that... We are to not only submit to from. The, we are not only to resist the devil. We're to run from the devil. I remember as I was a teenager. Sorry, we've got a couple of teenagers here, girls. Y'all don't take this, all right? I remember we used to take the hymnal, and I know you're gonna think this is sacrilege. It wasn't the Bible. It was the hymnal. We used to take the hymnal, and we used to make up funny songs from it. Now I could give you a number that you'd be highly offended, but one of them was, we used to, after our youth uh, get together, we would walk out the door singing. I was sinking deep in sin. Whee! And we just thought that was the funniest thing in the world. It's not so funny today the older I got. You know why? Because it seems that our culture and our church and our our people today are sinking deep in sin and they don't really care. It's kind of the mantra today. Sin doesn't mean anything. We have a different culture. We don't resist the devil because we've embraced so much of this culture. I want you to think about it. Adults, think about it with me. Things that 30 years ago only husbands and wives talked about in the bedroom are talk show topics today. Words that were words that honestly got people taken off TV 30 and 40 years ago or in prime time. And we wink at sin and we wonder what's going on. We seem to have lost our sense of shame. And it seems that we've forgotten how to resist the evil one. Folks, if we're going to have awakening, we're going to need to resist his temptations. We're going to have to resist his callings. We're going to have to resist his desire to make us our own people. I'll just say this to you. I heard Ed Young say it years ago. He's in Second Baptist Houston, Texas, and he said, Some of you Texans out here are so filled with pride. You say, I'm a self-made man. When you say something like that, first of all, you give give away a lot of things. First of all, if you made yourself, God didn't have a part. Second of all, you reveal your pride. That you think you own it all and we own it all and we kind of covered that this morning. Thirdly, you're playing right into Satan's hands. If we think we made ourselves, we're playing right into Satan's hands. Now watch how this works. If we humble ourselves before God and we become submissive to God and we choose to turn our back on Satan and turn our face to God, the scripture says, number four, draw near to God. Draw near to God. If you want to be someone who kindles a revival, draw near to God. Have you ever been around that person who you just knew when you got around them you could sense God all over them? You knew that they had spent time with God. You see, when we respond to God, He responds to us. When, he, when he, God comes to us and we respond to God, He is there. He will never leave us in the lurch. An awakening... I'm afraid too many of us have gone to sleep, lost connection with God, and we really don't know that we're asleep. You know, that's pretty interesting. We talk about an awakening. We talk about sleeping and an awakening. When you're asleep, you don't have a clue that you're asleep. Do you really know that? Hello? Hello? When you're really asleep, you don't have a clue you're asleep. It takes somebody nudging you and waking you up. I dare say that it's that way spiritually. So I ask you tonight, I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want you to come by and tell me. But as God knows you in the deep recesses of your heart, would tonight you be a killer or kindler? What train are you on? If you continue doing what you've done, if you continue for the next year to do like you've done the last year, are you going to be closer or further away from God next year at this time or closer to Him? Are you going to be more like Jesus in six months or less like Jesus in six months? I read a story this week, and I I like reading stories. Perry Webb says that once he boarded a train, he took a seat, and he was the only person in in that passenger car. A little bit, the conductor came through and asked him to move to another car. And he was kind of indignant about that. He said, why should I move? I'm already seated. I'm comfortable. I like where I am. I got the seat I want. And the conductor said, that's because this car is not connected to anything. I just want to encourage us to make sure that we're awakened and sitting in the right seat, in the right car, that God can send an awakening to our spirits. Let's pray together.